Hello, I'm Mitch Ben, and I, like you, am still very much confined to barracks. Hello and welcome back to Confined to Barracks. I do hope you're enjoying these podcasts. I do hope you're enjoying lockdown in general, as much as reasonably can be expected. My guest today is the multi-award winning comedian and writer, the great Mark Watson. Mark and I actually had to cut this a bit short because we realised we were recording it at nearly 8pm on a Thursday evening. And of course, at 8pm on a Thursday evening, it's time to go to your doorstep or window and applaud your NHS working neighbours. I do hope you're all doing that, by the way. I know it might feel a little bit cheesy, but according to my upstairs neighbour, Sophie, who does work for the NHS, it is actually chewing them up quite substantially. So, yeah, keep that up. So, Mark, what have you brought to our virtual bunker to help the folks at home keep it together while they're stuck at home? So, where shall we start, genre White? Have you got a book? We usually start with the books for some reason. There's no particular yeah. order to it, but for some reason we've been starting with the books. I've actually got a pair of books for reasons I'll explain. So the first book I'm going to recommend is something called The Overstory. This is a book by a bloke called Richard Powers, and I think he won the Pulitzer Prize, or he's a heavyweight American author. The book is, by any standards, what you'd call heavyweight. It's one of these books that you look at and think, I don't think I'm ever going to get around to that. Um, <laughs> the reason I'm recommending it is because it, it's about trees, basically. It's an enormous novel about trees and specifically about one tree which unites six different characters in different ways and not being a huge kind of nature lover or something I, I when I heard about the book I read reviews of it and thought well this sounds very clever but I definitely don't have room for this in my life it actually is a, a very very good and engrossing novel but it is I think about 600 pages long and there are some very dense passages, it's fair to say. So basically, it's the those sort of... kind of just sit on your shelf glaring at you, those books, it, don't they? Exactly. And that's why partly... I'm Take like, me on, you weed. You haven't got the attention span for <laughs> Exactly. <this>. You'll, <laughs> you'll get 12 pages in and that's you, Dan. Yes. <laughs> and that's why I think it's not a bad lockdown recommendation, because if you want to sink your teeth into something which is going to take you an indefinite amount of time to finish, this is a good one. <laughs> Because it is a fine novel and, and very and it makes you think about the natural world in ways that a city boy like me never really would. But also it's, it's about people. It's a very human book and it's, it seems weird to even talk about it now. But I went to Japan last year to so had a pair of 11 hour flights. And I basically it's the sort of book you would normally need a very long journey for, basically. But now we sort of or at least some of us live in that world now. <laughs> yes. Having said that, there is a caveat, which is I've got kids. I don't have them all the time they go back and forth during this weird period um, <laughs> me and my ex-wife but um i do have them half the week and so when people are tweeting going oh i don't know what to do i've got too much time on my hands i don't really recognize that <laughs> <laughs> and if someone recommends a 700 page book to me now i tell them to fuck off i think enough <laughs> Uh, so that's no, what it is, I thought. It is too, actually, considering I've ostensibly got an apple to do, I've never been busier. Again, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm self-employed. I generate my own stuff. Uh, it's entirely up to me how much I do. And my response to a crisis is, as I've already said, normally to just pile loads of stuff into my brain so I don't think about yeah. it. But that has meant that, like you said, I've been working almost more than I would have done if the world was normal. Which <laughs> <laughs> seems a bit of a strange way for an apocalypse to go, really. With all this in mind, I've got a much shorter recommendation as well, 
Excellent. This is a book called How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia, which is by, I think the guy's name is Mushin Hamed. I don't know how you pronounce it, but anyway, pretty easy to Google it. How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia. And it's the opposite of the other book because it's very short. You can read it in a day. And again, it's a novel, but it is, as the title suggests, it's written in the tone of sort of a a self-help book about how to be an entrepreneur in Asia. Pakistan, I think it's set in, and about two people uh, living in modern southern Asia but I won't say much more about it than that but it's, it's written in this kind of faux naive style as if it was a sort of business journal type book and it's uh, really brilliant and beautiful but also as I say incredibly short so I think it's a nice thing to recommend for people who keep hearing that this is the time to read Ulysses or whatever because not everyone <laughs> <laughs> but it is so weird because time just doesn't seem to be behaving in any kind of measurable way I mean I yesterday put the cowboy bandido mask and the plastic gloves on and did the Sainsbury's run <laughs> and, and and came back feeling like I'd just run the Iron Man. it was such a mission and all I'd done was go to Sainsbury's and do a slightly bigger than average shop. Yeah. But by the time I came back, I felt like I could go to bed for a week. It's amazing, isn't it? I think the psychological strain of this means that you quite often do complete a very minor task and think, that that's me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> back to bed until the weekend. Uh, today, I looked after the kids five or six hours, maybe two hours of that is what you'd call education, but still... Mm-hmm dropped them off and came home thinking that is absolutely exhausting. And yet that is, of course, what many people do is their actual jobs every every day of their life. I keep thinking I'm a hero for accomplishing stuff, which I then remind myself is just a normal thing that some people actually do. Exactly. So what else have you got? What else have you got for us? Those are your books. Yes. My girlfriend and I became obsessed with this German show called Dark. Um, Oh, I've heard about this. I've not seen it yet. Yes, it's on Netflix. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you, I mean, I, can just about speak German, but uh, not well enough to follow it. So I watch it with subtitles. I definitely recommend subtitles yeah. rather than dubbing. There's a dubbed version, but it's obviously... I find all- dubbing throws me out the drama in a way that subtitles don't. We tried it with dubbing for about 45 seconds and it was absolutely unwatchable immediately. Yeah. Whereas with subtitles, it's fine. Yeah, it's a show that I think would be good to watch at the moment. We watched it, we finished it just before all this business started, but it is basically about, it is sort of a time travel thing. Uh, it's, it's about some people, it's set now, but the people in it find a portal back to the 1980s and the 1950s. So it's set over three times and, and you you gradually start to realise that the different time zones sort of interact. I'm not a huge sci-fi person, and it's the sort of thing that if it was pitched to me, I would probably think not quite my thing. But it's one of those shows that appears to be normal and then sucks you, like, drags you into a sci-fi conceit Mm. before you know what's happening. (laughs) I've Um, I've never needed dragging into a sci-fi conceit. That's very much where I live. (laughs) I suppose what's interesting for me is I've never been, whatever reason, my, my... bringing and stuff was I was never kind of initiated into stuff like Doctor Who and Star Trek and things or but as I've got older I've found that I really do enjoy stuff with like alternative worlds so I think that all that was stopping me sci-fi wise was just like with a lot of things it's one of those things where if someone doesn't get you into it early you start to you feel it's not your world i wonder if that is the case because i mean the thing is i was my dad was big star trek fan big he had shells full of robert heinlein and, and ray bradbury novels you know when i was growing up and so he used to, he used to sort of read analog magazines of sci-fi short story collections he's gone now i never really asked him how he got into it what got my dad into sci-fi is i wish it? i'd asked him that i just Please. always assumed he you know it was just kind of a given with him that he liked his science fiction you know? 
Yeah, that's very interesting you say that because, you know, one of my things has been enormous uh, football fan and that comes from my dad and it's a similar thing. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I grew up thinking that was just what you did because my dad had loads of football books, yeah. uh, football program collection, was very knowledgeable on the subject. But again, his dad was not a particular sports fan at all as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And once again, I've never actually asked him why he was into it. Uh, he still is alive, though, so maybe it's Well, you should, should, should take, avail yourself the opportunity. Which was his team? What team was he? Uh, he supports Bournemouth, because that's where he's what? from. Interesting. Uh, you, you see, I'm slightly anomalous in this, in that I grew up thinking I was sort of fairly indifferent to football, but bear in mind I grew up in Liverpool in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, so basically so, the bar for how into football you should be was fairly high, presumably. Yeah, exactly. It was crazy. Not only did I grow up in possibly the most football-obsessed city in the Western world, but it was during Liverpool's invincible period when they literally won everything for about yeah. 20 straight years. Yes, so it was just an annual yeah. thing that we would go to the end of our road and watch the team drive past on the open top bus with whatever they'd won that year. And I grew up in Bristol and ended up being a Bristol City fan. And like mm. most football fans, I can't imagine growing up in a culture where um, you sort of expected you would win most seasons. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 90% of football fans are massive pessimists. And then I've got a, one of my best mates is a Liverpool fan. And his, even though it's been a long time since Liverpool did win the league, his default yes. state has always been... Ah, pretty soon we'll be doing that again. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that they actually had to end the world to stop them winning this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The anti-Liverpool lobby is more powerful than we thought, isn't it? Yeah, this is it. My two theories right now, this this virus is either engineered by Manchester United or engineered by Zoom. Because <laughs> I don't know anybody who had Zoom three months ago. <laughs> I don't and like the entire the entire world's conversations seem to be being conducted by Zoom right now. So somebody's making money out of this. Yeah, I'm not sure we've ever seen a product go from no hero zero to hero quite as fast as you. <laughs> it's insane. It's ridiculous. The, those guys must have thought in about early to late February there must have been a conversation where you said, you know we set up that video messaging platform. Or I've got some I've got some good news for you. <laughs> People are about to be unable to meet physically for an indefinite time. Yes. I don't even know whether Zoom is the only one of these or whether it just happens to have been the become the household name. You know, It's the most memorable name. I bet you that's literally what it is. Because yeah. there are, there, you know, in BBC yeah. parlance, other video conferencing platforms are available. But it's the one that seems to have planted itself firmly in the public consciousness. It's to the amazing. point now where I think what's going to happen is it's going to become like Hoover or Biro. People are going to use the word Zoom as a verb when they're not even using Zoom. Which, from a manufacturer's point of view, that is when you really have one, I think. Yes. People are going to start referring to video conferencing as Zooming, even if they're using Google Hangout. For sure. I went to the corporate campaign thing for Bing, the search engine that isn't Google. Oh, yes. And the yeah. guy's whole thing was like, we really want to steer people away from using Google as a, as a verb. We as want a verb, yeah. yeah. I did my best, but I had to say to him, this is an uphill struggle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every... <laughs> Uh, interview I did about it people would say so you can use Bing to sort of Google stuff and I would have to say <laughs> well, actually that is very much what they're trying to distance themselves from <laughs> first time I used Bing I was thinking you know what I'm not entirely sure Bing exists I think Bing just Googles everything for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah again that was the sort of conversation they weren't fond of having no <laughs> So, have you got any other? Have you got any other TV shows? Is that it for TV shows? Well, after that, we started to get into this, as you sometimes do with Netflix, this vein of like, right, we enjoyed that, right, well, similar. And the last thing we watched was called The Leftovers. Yeah. Set in a again a world identical to ours, except that something like five percent of people all disappeared on one day. Yeah. Uh, 
and it deals with the aftermath. It deals, it's set in a world where many people have lost loved ones to. Uh, it's funny. I, we never particularly watch shows like this, as I say. But the more the uh, pandemic has taken hold, the more we seem to be drawn to shows where some mad disaster has occurred. And everyone... well, that was something I was talking about with Suze Campbell, which is crazy. When you hit up Netflix or, or Sky Movies and you go to trending and it just shows you what everybody else is watching, they're watching Outbreak. They're watching Contagion. They're watching Twenty Eight Days Later, and you're like, "What is the matter with people?" The, the first, the first time I heard that, the first time I saw that Contagion was the most popular thing, I thought, "Yes, that is bonkers." Short, but as it goes on, I do sort of understand it as a kind of attempt to somehow grasp through art what we're struggling to grasp with our. Yeah, and presu- I mean, I've not actually seen Outbreak or Contagion, but presumably the world doesn't actually end in either of those movies, and we do find a way to survive. I suppose. So that's- maybe- yeah, exactly. If you could watch a disaster movie about this now with anywhere near a happy ending, you would, wouldn't you? Yes. <laughs> it's interesting to me because people always say novels or films or whatever are about escapism. Obviously, that is an aspect of why we like them. But I think mm. what this sort of thing proves is it's not all about that. What we also want from books and films and stuff is to show us something about the world we actually live in and what we could do better or something like that. A lot of the good sci-fi, a lot of the good speculative fiction is all about holding up a slightly distorted mirror to reality. I think I started to understand that when I started to delve into sci-fi a bit. I I started to realise that people like it because it tells us about our lives in a different way. The one thing, I've got no problem with people who don't like science fiction, right? Some sci-fi fans get very angry in the presence of anybody who doesn't like science. You know, at the end of the day, it's just another genre and you're free to take it or leave it. The thing which does slightly wind me up is when people say, I don't like science fiction because it's all made up. And you say, yeah, "Yeah, that's what fiction means. Uh, That's in the title. And the thing is, everything else is made up too. EastEnders is every bit as made up as Game of Thrones. Yes, I think it's extremely <laughs> odd to criticise any sort of work of fiction for not being real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember seeing someone like, might have been Michael Owen or some famous sports person saying, I never read novels because it's a waste of time because I'm, I'm always too annoyed that it didn't really happen. You know, like, <laughs> I only ever, I might, not, I might be doing Michael Owen a disservice, but there was some famous... Yeah. There's some sportsmen's like, I only read autobiographies or non-fiction because why would I bother with something that's made up? And I thought that is, if you genuinely believe that, then you're missing one of life's richest pleasures, I think, which is to inhabit a yeah. different world. Okay, so that's Dark and that's The Leftovers. Where's The Leftovers on? Is that on Netflix? Is I that think on? that is also, or it might have been Amazon Prime, actually. But it's right, one right, of, right. One of those okay. sort of things. I've started to lose the ability to differentiate between different sources of TV. I just put things into the... <laughs> I just well, pipe things in and hope that they come up. <laughs> that's the other theory, is that this virus was developed by the Disney Corporation to coincide with the uh, international launch of Disney+. Plus. <laughs> it's hard to escape the fact that we are all desperately dependent on TV, especially if you have kids, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, my my kids were... My kids are a, a little bit older than yours, but every now and again I would find myself cont- you know, remembering that back when I was their age... The children's TV consisted of one 15-minute burst at lunchtime when it was Bagpuss or Nearest Offer. And then you would get about an hour and a half of it, sort of between like 4 p.m. and about 5.40. It may knock it off for two hours of it, between about 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. And other than that, that was all the kids' TV. Oh, and a couple of hours on Saturday morning. Other than that, that was all the kids' TV. And contemplating that 
when essentially you would hand them over to the care of CBeebies for hours on end. Absolutely. I, I'm <laughs> the same. I grew up in the 80s, and sometimes I have to say to my kids, yeah. you do realise there used to be times when TV just was not on. <laughs> there yeah, wasn't, exactly. there, there wasn't any of it. It's very interesting that the kids the age of my kids have a real difficulty with the concept that there was a period when you couldn't have you, you could not choose anything all the time yeah. you just yeah. had to take what was on offer and when you start saying that as a parent you feel like our own parents saying what well, during the war X, yeah, y, exactly you start um, to feel like the old yorkshireman sketch they don't know the world today you know you become the yorkshireman sketch yeah but yeah exactly i mean my kids will never really be able to grasp the concept of missing a tv show yeah, because you know, I'm, I'm a few years older than you, and I remember a time before even VCRs. And like, for example, Doctor Who was on, you know, 5:45 on a Saturday afternoon. And if you didn't make it home in time from whatever you've been doing on Saturday afternoon, to be did, sat did down in front of the TV yeah. when Doctor Who <laughs> was on, that was it. You'd missed it. It was That's gone, wrong. and you had no expectation that you were ever going to see it. It it's, was gone. It's, it's very interesting, isn't it? It's a big conceptual change. My kid plays these games like Fortnite and stuff where people are right. online. He's not meant to play it that much because it is, I think, meant to be for slightly older kids by the sound <laughs> of it. And um, the other day he said to me, so did you used to do this? And I had to try and say, no, we didn't. I mean, we played these sort of games, but not together because you, we didn't have the internet. And yeah. he was like, well, so how did you go online? How did you? He couldn't <laughs> imagine <laughs> that it was not a thing. He knows that before, he knows that when I was at his age, there was not the internet, but he can't actually wrap his head around the idea that you didn't have the things that the internet brings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You could download anything you wanted forever. Yeah, yeah. So how did you Google things? Well, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Once again, you start talking about encyclopedias and once again, you sound like a 90 year old. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but it's also little things like, I mean, it was my 50th birthday not long ago, and so my girlfriend rounded up loads and loads of old photos of me and sort of hung them all around the venue in a sort of Carlisle fashion. And it occurred to me, something which I was dimly aware of, that literally before the age of about 12, I think there are maybe about eight photographs of me in existence. (laughs) Yeah, again, if if your dad had brought his camera, then you had photos. If he hadn't, then and if you didn't, then the video didn't. And you had to take it to boots and not even know what photos you'd taken for about a week. My kids' existences in their infancy was, you know, there were people under 24-hour surveillance from the FBI whose existences are less well-documented than my children. <laughs> Again, I told my son an anecdote about how I'd once, which is when I was about 14, I took my photos, or collected them from the chemist, and they gave me the wrong packet of photos because someone else was called Watson. And I, so I ended up with 24 photos of exotic tropical fish that someone had taken. Um, and my son enjoyed the anecdote, but I, I don't think he understood it. I don't think he can. He almost can't even picture photographs as being no. things that it's exist a paper. in a log form yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. It's extraordinary. Um, Mark, I've just noticed the time, but we should yeah, crack on because I need to go and run out and applaud the NHS in about yeah, 12. Yeah, so do I. We're banging so, on the middle-aged men that we are. We are. Let's have your... <laughs> podcast recommendations quickly well i can do this quickly by a friend of mine sophie hagan um, oh lovely and she's she's this podcast i've been on a few times the podcast is called made of human and yes it is nothing more than a series of conversations between her and people normally with an unusual story or an unusual angle on life in some way and very simply she just interviews them about what they think it is to be human 
what makes them themselves. And she's, but she's one of these people like Louis Theroux that have got a sort of, uh, I don't quite know what the word is, but a quite ingenuous way of asking questions. Yes. Get yeah. an enormous amount out of people just by, because she's Danish, Sophie, she's, she, she has a kind of tool where she's like, oh, well, maybe in this country it's different or, she basically is able to sound much more innocent than she is. Yes. As a result, a bit like through, she asks what seem very innocent questions, but have the effect of prizing stuff out of people. I think and it's, it's also just because Sophie comes across as so innocent. You know, she's got that big sort of wide innocent face. And, yeah, you know, she's, she's got, got a mind. mind like a steel trap. Absolutely. <laughs> she's got this cute, gentle, lilting Scandinavian voice, and... which masks a quite forensic sort of brain. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> And she knows how to use that. And as a result, the, there's loads of them. She's been doing it for ages. I don't know how many episodes are in existence, but uh, some of them are with comedians, some of them are with just influential figures of some kind. A lot of them are either people of colour or people from cultures that in some way don't intersect with my own very much. So yeah. I, because it brings me into contact with quite a lot of fascinating people that I probably wouldn't have heard of. And I think it's good lockdown listening because I, I think... If you're any sort of thinking person, you probably are thinking at the moment, it would be nice to learn something about what it means to be human from this. So I I recommend it just as a way of listening to the voices of people that aren't your own and maybe having some thoughts about what it's like, what we can learn about ourselves from this. Excellent. That's made of human, Sophie Egan. Yeah, I think Sophie's remarkable. She really is. I saw her do... um a show at uh, the Edinburgh Fringe a couple of years ago that was a free show, but it was in the basement of the liquid rooms, and she must have got 300 people in there. She is one of these people that do like to do things in a DIY way. And uh, again, the podcast, does it, she does it without a lot of fanfare, but it is fascinating, and there's a lot of great conversations in there. Well, that's one of the, again, you know, uh, even prior to you know, um, us all being put under house arrest one of the good things about now is that you can do things in a diy sort of way in yeah. a way that certainly even in our industry really wasn't possible certainly when i got started i suspect even when you got started which is a few years later that yeah the whole concept of podcasting is is well what about 15 years old is it it's certainly a massive difference between now and when i started as yeah. you said, is that you can generate if you have stuff that you want to do you you can do it it took me ages to realize that actually mm-hmm. i think you know someone my sort of age is used to thinking i need permission to make stuff but uh one great thing about this era is you sort of don't and now we're really seeing that because exactly we have no way of uh, releasing stuff unless we do it ourselves. <laughs> well, one of the things that struck me a couple of years ago is you know, my kids getting into all these YouTubers, you know, and some of them I find genuinely unfathomable because it's literally guys sitting there playing Minecraft and bollocking on while you watch. And I'm thinking, all right, the appeal of this is completely lost on me, but I'm guessing it's a generational thing. Yeah, but my- some of them are genuinely really talented, like visual comedians putting together Absolutely. just you know just like little six minutes six second sketches on vine and then putting you know then then expanding them into like little 10 minute sketches and i'm watching these guys and i'm thinking you see this is a whole different genre of celebrity that my generation just can't get its head around because we look at that and we see somebody doing a demo we look at that and we see somebody basically pitching their hat at the networks and going look networks this is something i can do because in my, for my generation, if you got rich and famous, it was because some old white guy behind a desk had, had decided it was okay, had had chosen you for stardom. Whereas what's happening now is you're getting kids who are getting rich and famous just entertaining the other kids. Absolutely. And the grown-ups aren't even in the equation. Absolutely. It's incredible kind of democratization. And yes. uh, 
it's I'm exactly the same. I look at a lot of stuff that my son is watching, which again is mostly other people playing computer games yeah. and think I, I don't, I struggle to see the appeal of this, but yeah, as you say, there's stuff, I can't even remember what it was called, but there was some huge hit pop hit last yeah. year that my son showed me and it ended up being an enormous single, but it was just something a bloke had done in his house and put it yeah. out. And that is kind of amazing, isn't it? Because even though yeah. there was, was sort of bed sit, bed sit music and stuff, it still required a level of production and release yeah. PR. The fact someone can put something out now and it is a global phenomenon in 30 minutes is yes. thrilling as well as being quite scary for people like us. <laughs> well, I mean, I've just had a bit of a one because my song Fuck All went crazy when I put it out about a week and a half ago. And yeah. um, that's and not what, what would have been possible. What was actually kind of, it, A, it was kind of exciting suddenly realising, doing the maths in my head and thinking, I think everybody has seen this now. I think literally everybody has now. They don't all know it's me because it was being circulated without my name on it a lot of places. And a, but I remember thinking the flip side of that, I suddenly thought of John Ronson's book and thought, my God, imagine if it was some shit going round about you that you couldn't stop. That must be terrifying. Yes, I mean, you definitely want to stay on the right side of it, don't you? (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Right, we've got a few minutes left. Tell me about your improving thing that you think people should be doing with themselves. Well, this is quite uh, simple. In fact, it's extremely simple, um, and it might sound a bit patronising. But I think, as we've said, a lot of people have been saying, oh, it's time to learn Japanese or uh, (laughs) learn to paint or whatever. And a number of other people keep pointing out that that is quite oppressive because you just might not fancy that or have it in you. Um, What I've been doing, and it's a small thing, but I'm in a number of, not a huge number, a a small number of WhatsApp groups with my friends. And we've all been, you know, setting each other quizzes and um, posting each other jokes at odd hours of the day and night and stuff. And, And one of the few upsides of this situation is that it has reminded me how precious friendship is and how yeah. we neglect it. Not just friendship, family as well. I've been doing a weekly chat with my siblings on Zoom, of course, as we said. And yes. again, it's, it's, you know, made me think, God, it's amazing we haven't always had a weekly chat of some kind. Yes, um, yeah. So I think in a way, it's not exactly a hobby or a craft, but I think I'd, I'd say, for me, a, a big thing I've learned in this period is your, your friendships, your networks are absolutely crucial to your well-being. And... It would be nice if we all came out of this having just learned to stay in touch a little bit better, basically. I think that's an utterly noble sentiment. Yes, because I've been doing the same, you know, I mean, because I'm slightly eating myself alive. My mum is like 200 miles away in Liverpool and I'm aware of the fact that I can't go and see her. Um, but yeah, if anything, I'm more likely to give her the damn virus than anybody else. But I've been doing the, the video chats with her. Every time I got the kids around, we all sit in the sofa and fart the iPad and do the video chat. And it, it's such a boon. And, and yeah, much like yourself, I'm thinking, why am I not doing this at least once a week all the time? And, exactly. So I think, yeah. Of, yeah, I think if there's one thing, even if you can't quite uh, summon the energy to do anything else, why not use this time to either reconnect with a couple of people or strengthen the bond you have with a couple of people? And that wouldn't be a bad legacy of this whole thing. It really wouldn't. Mark, that's a wonderful sentiment. Thank you so much. I shall cherish that. Well, yeah, you're, you're welcome. As I say, if nothing else, texting a few people takes your mind off your own problems because they're almost always in a worse situation in some way than you. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, text someone you don't like. Get a little Chardonnay to hit, why not? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Mark, thank you so much for giving me your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And like you, I'm now going to go out and clap for a minute. Let's do that.
Cheers, buddy. Cheers, matey. Cheers, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. What a thoroughly decent chap he is. And off we went to go and applaud for a minute. Um, Thank you so much to Mark for doing that. Thank you to you for listening to it. Thank you to those of you who subscribed. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. And those of you who are in a position to do this, please go to patreon.com slash Mitch Ben, where you can find out how you can help me to continue doing this and all the other weird stuff I do for as little as one US dollar a month. And, um... While I'm here, a big thank you to all those of you who sent messages of support and condolence to my partner, Leslie, on the sad death of her grandpa, the amazing Harry McFarlane, who was taken from us by the virus last week, far too soon, at the age of 91. Yeah, we're in for some, uh, we're in for some testing times, folks. Look after each other, look after yourselves, stay indoors, stay safe, and I'll see you soon.